T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design plus as an audible member choose one title a month to make yours forever and now new members can try audible free for 30 days just visit audible.com slash wondery pod or text wondery pod to 500 500 that's audible.com slash wondery pod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. You're listening to the CBS Sunday Morning Podcast on Play.it, brought to you by the new film Trumbo. Good morning, I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. Last night, tornadoes left a trail of death and destruction in Texas. In the southeast, 18 people lost their lives in twisters and floods over Christmas. And here in the east, we've been having a heat wave. As anyone who's stepped outside knows full well, the weather of late has been warm or wet or stormy, but perhaps most of all, strange. Mark Strassman will report our Sunday Morning cover story. This is what winter is supposed to look like. Oh, ho, ho! But not this year. Where's the nearest beach? <laughs> this warmth, this heat capacity, is what is driving that jet pattern. Ahead on Sunday morning, from tornadoes in the south to the heat wave in the east to flooding in the west, the weather. What in the world is going on? Jane Pauley this morning will be introducing us to an artist with a most unusual calling and a most unusual history to match. If an egg is a symbol of a fresh start, then it's a perfect metaphor for the life of convict-turned-artist Gil Battle. 
My art was my ticket to freedom in there. Most guys didn't have that. No, no. After decades behind bars, battle has emerged to create exquisite works of sculpture, carved into the shells of ostrich eggs. His story, and the stories hatched from these eggs, later on Sunday morning. Dame Maggie Smith is one of our most venerated performers. These days, she's playing two very different characters. Morocco went to London to talk with her about the challenges that presents. I like to help where I can. Dame Maggie Smith attained a whole new level of fame as the Dowager Countess of Downton Abbey. No family is ever what it seems from the outside. I'm not a beggar. The eccentric she plays in her new movie couldn't be more opposite. I wonder if the Dowager Countess and Miss Shepherd were stuck in an elevator together, what would happen? I think the Dowager Duchess would take out a very large hatpin and run her through with it. Ahead on Sunday morning, you don't keep this dame waiting. As is our tradition at year's end, this morning we'll be saying hail and farewell to those who left us in 2015. There are three things I like most, love, Love and love. Every year, we take time to remember the many remarkable people who left us in the year gone by. Move over, gentlemen. Maybe you can use some help. Folks, stand. Stand by me. To thank them for their many gifts. Live long and prosper. Later, we'll say hail and farewell. Based on the true story. Trumbo, you're the highest paid writer in Hollywood. In 1947, he was blacklisted for his beliefs. Hollywood is just a haven for overpaid traders. So he rewrote the rules. We do the one thing everyone says we can't. We write. Trumbo is one of the year's must-see pictures. Brian Cranston Towers. Are you prepared to go to prison? Helen Mirren is terrific. Whisper a movie you've written in secret. Maybe I've even heard of it. Maybe you have. Trumbo, rated are under 17 not admitted without parent only in theaters this november everywhere thanksgiving what is going on with all this very strange weather our cover story is reported by mark strassman last christmas buffalo looked like the north pole this year santa wore shorts a few flakes finally fell last week smashing a 116 year record for the longest streak with no snow Oh, ho, ho. In cities up and down the East Coast, Christmas Eve was the warmest ever. It felt like summer in the Big Apple, with temperatures in the 70s. Where's the nearest beach? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Being able to see a 70 degree weather in New York City on Christmas Eve, it's something really cool to experience. One of many record highs could be set from the great Here in West Oregon, record-shattering rain. The last this month's wacky warm weather has broken more than a thousand records from coast to coast. This December has been exceptional for a lot of areas of the country. You look into the northwest where the rain and snow has been nonstop. You look into the northeast, mid-Atlantic, the upper Midwest, winter completely on pause and temperatures that are so far above average they'll be smashing records before we're done. Eric, what, what's in store? Eric Fisher is chief meteorologist for CBS station WBZ-TV in Boston. To me, this is the most staggering thing. In the Boston area, we're going to see the coldest winter month ever recorded and the warmest winter month ever recorded in the same year, in 144 years of records. Take a look. 
Essentially, the nation's weather map is divided in half. In many eastern cities, temperatures are as high as 30 degrees above normal. Out west, it's colder and wetter than it's been in years. Two weeks ago, dangerous floods in Oregon swallowed homes and prompted terrifying rescue missions. Scientists say what's behind this weather madness, in part, is a phenomenon that goes back millennia. You've heard its name, El Nino. El Nino is uh, about a year-long warming that takes place along the equator in the eastern half of the tropical Pacific. And it's related to changes in the trade winds. They also are weaker when that ocean warms up. And this is from the coast of South America all the way out into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Nate Mantua is a climate scientist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in Santa Cruz, California. This, this rain, when's the last time you saw this rain? You know, we've had very little of this in the last four years. Four years. But Mantua has been studying the effects of El Nino for 30 years. Every four to seven years, he says, those Pacific trade winds weaken. And when that happens, there's a massive shift in rainfall patterns in the tropics. So wet places tend up being really dry, and normally dry places end up getting lots of rainfall. And this El Nino, how significant or intense is it? The current El Nino is among the three strongest since 1950, at least. So strong, the effects of this El Nino can be seen on every weather forecaster's radar the world over. This warm pattern, which is not only at the surface as we're showing here, but actually is over a depth of the Pacific Ocean, provides a tremendous amount of heat capacity to drive the whole circulation pattern, not only across the United States, but around the globe. Louis Uccellini is the director of the National Weather Service. He says El Nino causes the temperature of the Pacific Ocean to increase up to 10 degrees and triggers a ripple effect across the globe. So simplistically, wetter than usual over here, warmer than usual over here. Uh, yes, wetter than uh, normal uh, in here. And as we see the El Nino pattern develop, we should see a more active storm track along the south, so wetter and warmer um, up in this area here. And as if right on cue, over the last five days, killer tornadoes swept across the south, killing more than 20 people from Texas to Tennessee. The house is gone. Yes. What are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to try to rebuild. Here? Mm -hmm. So what do you was worrisome about all this? There are parts of the globe that are impacted by El Nino that... Um, uh, do suffer from those impacts. Uh, increased drying in Brazil and Indonesia with the uh, possibility of forest fires. Um, increased precipitation um, over Africa, Central Africa to East Africa, which lends itself to the increased likelihood of disease outbreaks uh, like malaria and dengue fever. But can these alarming weather events also be blamed on climate change? Scientists say not so fast. Maybe climate change adds a couple more warmer days or makes the warmest temperatures a little bit warmer. I don't think you can just say that because it's a warming world, we're seeing a record warm December. We might be enhancing the normal pattern that would have happened anyway by a little bit. In California, oceans that were already warming are getting even hotter. And that has created a crisis 
for the creatures who live in it. 2015 has been one for the record books. You know, typically we rescue six to 800 animals. We're almost to 1,800. Sean Johnson directs the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito. He says that in the past two years, 90% of California's sea lion and fur seal pups have died. Give me a sense of what is going on out in their natural habitats that has brought about this crisis. And because this water is so warm, it's pushed all the feeder fish, the foraging fish for their mothers, um, farther out to sea, deeper in the water column or farther north. What it's come down to is all the animals um, have a lack of food. There's not enough um, food right in this area for them right now. Relief will come eventually, because historically, El Nino is followed by La Nina, characterized by cooler ocean temperatures. But at least for the next few months, the world will continue to feel El Nino's effects, both on land and in the ocean. Coming up, a toast Sontag. to the Bloody Mary. Perfectly yeah. spiced. Based on the true story. Trumbo, you're the highest paid writer in Hollywood. In 1947, he was blacklisted for his beliefs. Hollywood is just a haven for overpaid traders. So he rewrote the rules. We do the one thing everyone says we can't. We write. Trumbo is one of the year's must-see pictures. Brian Cranston Towers. Are you prepared to go to prison? Helen Mirren is terrific. Whisper a movie you've written in secret. Maybe I've even heard of it. Maybe you have. Trumbo, rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Only in theaters this November. Everywhere. Thanksgiving. As we come to the end of 2015, here are some of the stories we'll remember. January brought the terrorist attack on the French magazine Charlie Hebdo that had lampooned Islam. Thirteen people were killed. Millions would soon rally in Paris saying, Je suis Charlie. In February, ISIS shocked the world again, posting online videos of a captured Jordanian pilot being burned alive, and later the mass beheading of 21 Coptic Christians. We remember March for the crash of a German Wings jetliner. 150 lives were lost when the co-pilot deliberately aimed the plane into the French Alps. In April, a Boston jury convicted marathon bomber Jokar Chernayev. A month later, he was sentenced to death. May saw the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge present their new daughter, Princess Charlotte Elizabeth Diana, to the world. It's beginning to look like I'm not going to get the Tonight Show. I don't think so. And David Letterman signed off after 33 years on late-night TV. Thank you, and good night. I'm always going to be your dad. In June, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, and downed a lot of Wheaties. made her debut. And the Supreme Court made same-sex marriage a right nationwide. A mile-long tunnel provided Mexico's powerful drug lord El Chapo an escape from prison in July. That same month, Pluto was revealed in spectacular photos snapped by a NASA spacecraft. In August, news that Minnesota dentist Walter Palmer had killed Zimbabwe's beloved Cecil the Lion for sport triggered global outrage. 
A photo of three-year-old Alan Kurdi's lifeless body on the Turkish beach in September quickly became a symbol of the world's indifference to the plight of Syrian refugees. October brought an official end to China's controversial one-child policy, allowing families now to have two children. Islamic terrorists targeted Paris again in November. 130 people would die in multiple attacks, leaving the heart of the French nation badly wounded. And this month, radicalized husband and wife killers would take 14 lives in San Bernardino, California. And two weeks ago, 200 nations met in Paris to adopt the first global pact to combat climate change. Next, sculpture, sunny side up. Where we might see an ostrich egg, others can see a blank canvas, the perfect medium for a message shaped by memories. Hatched is a story from Jane Pauley. At first glance, they look like something wrought by Fabergé. Egg-shaped sculptures, elegantly carved into lacy designs, and oh so delicate. But look again. And the art's true meaning comes into focus. An unsparing account of life behind bars. When I do a piece, I actually have to go back to prison mentally to feel the loneliness, the anger, the fear. I have to go back there in order to, to, to recreate that scene again, the brick wall, the bars. And when I look up from the egg, you know, I feel gratitude that I'm not there anymore. Gil Battle spent most of his adult life in and out of California jails and prisons for fraud and forgery. Yet after nearly a decade of freedom, Battle finds himself drawn back to the scenes that once defined his world. On a lot of the eggs, I have the chain gang. And I used to, I used to think those aren't just 20 guys. Those are 20 guys with 20 different stories. Do you give each individual a different face? It's impossible to do the same face. You can't, you can't make the same face. Different faces, but no expression. Different faces, but no expressions, right. Yeah. An egg, an egg shell is expressionless until the artist arrives. Wow, right. Life, yeah. I put life on that thing. That thing is an ostrich egg. First, I come up with a theme for each egg. Once I figure out what the theme is, I have to then figure out how I'm going to place it on the egg. In this case, I wanted to do four panels. So I divide the egg in half. Then I try to find the equator. Battle has had a lifelong obsession with the shape of eggs and their promise of a fresh beginning. But ostrich eggs are an exacting medium. He carves using a high-speed dental drill, the only tool that can render such astonishing detail. The shell on an egg is about a sixteenth of an inch. And if you go past that sixteenth of an inch, you practically destroy the egg. And I think that kind of fragility is where I, I stand um, uh, emotionally, I think. Well, aren't we all? Aren't we all? That's right. 
We all are. We all have that 16th of an inch, I think. In works like It's Your Fault, Battle charts the cycle of cruelty. The abused boy becomes an abuser himself. In Abscond, Letters from Jonathan, Battle recalls his absence from his son's life. It was his high school graduation was coming up. And he says, you're going to be there, right, Dad? I said, yeah, I wouldn't miss that for the world. I got arrested the next day. A couple weeks later, the guard goes, Battle, you got mail. And I couldn't open up that letter for a week. <laughs> Battle says his skill designing tattoos and other works for fellow convicts was his protection behind bars. So that would be a prison shank, a knife, and this is a toothbrush shaped into a weapon. And it's no small irony that his talent for creating another type of artwork Forging checks to support a drug addiction is what kept landing him back in prison. To break the cycle, he moved 7,000 miles away to a remote island in the Philippines, his parents' native country, where he supported himself making knickknacks for the tourist trade. I was pretty proud of it. I thought, well, you got you to check this out. This so he is, brought these things so back, and I mean, I could, I, you know, I appreciated them. But his younger brother, Ahilio, himself an accomplished San Francisco artist, prodded him to do more. I just melted my heart because I knew what he could do, what he was capable of doing. I said, well, why don't you, why don't you tell your story? And he looked at me and said, uh, like I was crazy, he said, well, who would be interested in that? And I told him, I'd be interested in that. I said, I think there'd be a lot of people interested in that. Wow, that your brother would be proud to have you be an artist who tells prison stories. Yeah, um, he's always been there. He... It's okay. He's always been there. Yeah, he, he, he has never closed the door on me. And now the door to a future as a successful artist has opened for Gil Battle. It's really just quite, quite beautiful. Thank you. The imposing ex-con who creates such delicate masterpieces, which sell for 14,000 each. At age 53, there's so much lost time to make up. You could have had a great career as an artist, but then you wouldn't have a story to tell that you've got. Isn't that wild? And I, I think it was with my son, and I said, this could have happened years ago, and it's almost kind of late now. And my son says, no. He says, if he didn't go to prison, this couldn't have happened. I used to see this bumper sticker, and it says, art saves lives. And I used to see it, and I go, no, that's kind of corny, you know. But it does. It saved my life. Still to come, we say hail and farewell. But next... Are we all ready now? Are we all all right? Mm -hmm. Dame Maggie Smith. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. When do I have the operation? I'm afraid you'll be on the waiting list for at least six months. At my age, I can't plan that far ahead. I don't even buy green bananas. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood. That is Dame Maggie Smith in the 2011 movie The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. These days, she's best known for her role in television's Downton Abbey, and she also has a new movie out. Almo Raka has some questions about that and more. The day after this interview airs is your birthday. You're kidding. I don't want to be reminded of that. That's the last thing I want to be reminded of. Do you know how you're going to celebrate? I thought you were going to say, do you know how old you are? If you want to know Dame Maggie Smith's age, well, we're not going to tell you. All that matters is that this legend of stage and screen is still very much in her prime. I will not stand quietly by and allow myself to be crucified by a woman whose fetid frustration has overcome her judgment. If scandal is to your taste, Miss Mackay, I shall give you a feast. Lie is so unmusical a word. She only recently finished shooting the final season of Downton Abbey, the smash hit television drama in which she steals pretty much every scene. Principles are like prayers. Noble, of course, but awkward at a party. As Lady Violet, Dowager Countess. You will both admit it when you realize you were wrong. Oh, well, that is an easy caveat to accept because I'm never wrong. Naturally, she's savored this particular success. Have you seen any of Downton Abbey yet? No, but they gave me the box set. And I'm going to do all sorts of things. I'm free. Free enough to talk with us on a recent afternoon in London. Are you through with corsets? Yes, I'm all through with corsets. Let's just say that I am. In actual fact, I have to say that I, I did cheat a bit because I promised that if I sat up, bolt upright, I would look as though I were wearing corsets. So often on Downton Abbey, you were not wearing a corset. But don't tell anybody. This is, I came all the way from New York. This is an exclusive. Yeah, but so I don't want it to be put around. I was tortured every day. Oh, the show's final season premieres next week. Don't worry, no spoilers here. Are you bound by contract not to reveal what happens in the last episode? Yes, I am, but to speak truth, I can't remember. Nobody was allowed to see the script. You had to read it and then eat it. I love that you had to eat it. <laughs> had to eat it, had just to... in case. <laughs> Do not leave it anywhere. Do not leave it in your trailer. That would be an amazing box set bonus, watching the cast of Downton Abbey eat their scripts. Munching their way through all those scripts. Yes, she's had her fill of the Dowager Countess. I'm a sick woman looking for a last resting place. Which may explain why she's gone the opposite direction for her newest role. Where am I supposed to put three coats? In the movie, The Lady in the Van. You don't take any notice of what he says. He's he's a communist, possibly. For this movie, you spent a lot of time in a van. (laughs) Yes, I did. Dame Maggie plays Miss Shepherd. A real-life woman who spent the last 15 years of her life living in her van. Shut the door, Mr. Bennett! Parked in the driveway of playwright Alan Bennett's home. 
I cannot begin to imagine how it must have been in reality right. of, of what Alan had to, had to cope with. The film is written by Bennett and directed by Nicholas Heitner, both friends of Dame Maggie. I think you know, she, Miss Shepherd, morphed into Maggie and Maggie morphed into she Miss Shepherd. I can't I see Miss Shepherd now without that, seeing Maggie. I think that's what always no. happens, isn't it? Miss Shepherd? Spending 12 hours a day in that van, in the rain, in the cold. Yes, yes. I think that took you quite a long way towards what she must have been like. What do you think Miss Shepherd would think of Maggie's performance? Well, she'd think it only right that she should be portrayed by England's leading actress, really, because she had a notion of herself as being a person of great importance. What are you doing looking at my thing? Indeed, Miss Shepherd is imperious, but also sympathetic, with a surprising backstory we won't reveal here. It is a reminder, not that one needs one, that that person on that street corner who's there day after day may have quite a story. I know. You pass all the time people just on cardboard on the street. You know, she had a van. She at least had that. But you see these people on just in, in doorways and it's just, I mean, what do they do all day? I never knew how truly grand it would be. American audiences first met Maggie Smith on Broadway when she was one of the new faces of 1956 and sang this comedic ditty. But even as I say this, I feel it slipping away. This is my one perfect... What was your impression of New York when you first got there? The thing that astonished me more than anything was the food. I mean, we hadn't long stopped rationing food rationing in England. When you ordered anything to eat, I was really a, a nervous wreck because it would be mountainous. And also it, was, it seemed very, very bright. It was like being in the movies instead of watching them. She would make plenty of movies and win two Oscars along the way. How many gin and tonics have you had? Three gins and one tonic. Catch up on the tonics. We don't want to be disgusting tonight, do we? But her first love was the stage. At Britain's National Theatre, her co-stars would include the great Laurence Olivier and her first husband, the late Robert Stevens. Is it hard to be an actor married to another actor, your first Hideous. husband? Hideous. Don't ever do it. You're not thinking of it, are you? No, I'm not. Oh, good. And why is it hideous? I don't know. Well, I think it's because when I was married to Robert, we spent our entire life, really, at the National Theatre. There wasn't any other existence, and I think it was just too, too close. But it was great, you know. A lot of it was great, a lot of it wasn't, but there you are. The couple divorced. Her second marriage to playwright Beverly Cross was much happier. He died in 1998 not long before the Harry Potter movies would introduce Maggie Smith to a new generation of fans. Welcome to Hogwarts. Perhaps it would be more useful if I were to transfigure Mr. Potter and yourself into a pocket watch. That way one of you might be on time. For The Lady in the Van, Dame Maggie has been nominated for a Golden Globe. It won't, it won't look as if I'm being taken away, will it? She's already won three of those. Have you heard this, this expression, EGOT? No. EGOT is Emmy 
Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Like if you win all four. Grammy, Grammy. Oh, I see. Yeah. You've gotten all of them except the Grammy. And I think that's never going to happen. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Well, I beg to differ because you know what's completely delightful? What? Is you on Carol Burnett. That's going back so far. Dame Maggie appeared on The Carol Burnett Show back in 1975. You're classy. Classy. We were only too happy to refresh her memory. I don't believe that. Look at those, I remember those crazy clothes. That was the guy who... Yeah, Bob Mackey, right? Bob Mackey, that's right. Oh, do stop it. Oh, really? Okay, mm. and then it goes into a dance. I, I mean, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. This is where you're dancing. You are springtime in me, dear, a Rolls Royce limousine. Those were the days. Correction. Turn me around. These are still the days of Dame Maggie Smith. <laughs> Bloody Mary's all around. Everybody want to try a Bloody Mary at Tyrus Bar. Just ahead. Based on the true story. Trumbo, you're the highest paid writer in Hollywood. In 1947, he was blacklisted for his beliefs. Hollywood is just a haven for overpaid traders. So he rewrote the rules. We do the one thing everyone says we can't. We write. Trumbo is one of the year's must-see pictures. Brian Cranston Towers. Are you prepared to go to prison? Helen Mirren is terrific. Whisper a movie you've written in secret. Maybe I've even heard of it. Maybe you have. Trumbo, rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Only in theaters this November. Everywhere. Thanksgiving. Cheers! Tis the season for a Bloody Mary. Most of us know the drink, but where did it come from? A short history now from David Turacamo, our man in Paris. This is Harry's New York Bar in Paris. It's called New York because it really was a bar in New York that the original owner had dismantled and shipped to Paris a little over a hundred years ago. It's an old bar since the 19th century. The Harry was added later when Harry, that's him there, Harry McAlone, he bought it after the first guy went broke. Probably from shipping that bar to Paris, but... Anyway, this obviously American bar has a singular, one might even say historic, distinction. Well, I went to Bowdoin College, and uh -huh. my son went to Merrimack College. My daughter went to Providence College, and when we were here three years ago, we brought banners for Providence and Merrimack, and they're actually up on the wall. Cool, but that's not actually the distinction I was referring to. No, this bar is historic because back in the 1920s, a bartender here mixed Worcestershire sauce with Tabasco, salt and pepper, fresh lemon juice, mixed it. I love the way he does this. Look at Vodka. Yeah, don't forget the vodka. Tomato juice. And tomato juice, that's key. Et voila. Harry's is where the Bloody Mary was born. The Bloody Mary. It's a brunch staple for when you need some of the hair of the dog. Well, it's a Bloody Mary morning. In the 1920s, as Prohibition closed bars in the United States, some American bartenders came to France looking for work. They brought a new idea to the French cocktails, mixed drinks, to a country used to drinking wine. At the same time, Paris was a refuge for a lot of Russians escaping the communist revolution back home. 
and they brought this new stuff called vodka. Now, there are a lot of different versions of how the drink was created. The most widely accepted is that a barman at Harry's named Fernand Petio found vodka too bland, so he added tomato juice and spices to give it some flavor, as the Henry family from Massachusetts can attest to. Very good. Perfectly spiced. It's bloody because of the tomato juice, and Mary is believed to have been somebody's girlfriend. But after a few of these, who really remembers the details? It's a versatile drink that inspires many interpretations. Like at a Mexican restaurant, it's made with tequila. That's a Bloody Maria. At a sake bar, it's made with a Japanese vodka and wasabi. Hi, dozo. Bloody Mako. Three generations later, Harry's is still owned by the Macalone family. And they claim that last year, they sold more than 12,000 Bloody Marys. Everybody wants to try a Bloody Maria Tara's bar. Don't you? Sante. Coming up, all in the family. They have had it as worse as any other kid that's ever lived in the city of Pittsburgh. Generally speaking, if you're a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, like Jesse and Josh Lyle, the last place you ever want to be is in a courtroom across the table from Detective Jack Mook. How do? Mook is a by-the-book, no-nonsense, chew-em-up, spit-em-out, 22-year veteran of the force. Outside of work, he's a committed bachelor, a man's man, who would never so much as let a Vidalia see his soft side. For fun, he hits people and volunteers at the Steel City Boxing Gym, Flip. teaching the sport to underprivileged kids. To Most of the kids that come in this gym are street kids. I'm not going to hurt you. And many of them have been uh, born into poverty. Kids like Jesse and his older brother, Josh. Long before their date in court, Jack had been working with them. Turn that hand. He really liked these kids and knew the feeling was mutual. Turn that hand. So when they just stopped showing up at the gym one day, Jack went out and found them. And he was asking me about it, and then I just cried. What Jack didn't know, what no one knew till that moment, was just how bad these kids had it. They were in a foster home with foster parents who Jack says were extremely abusive and neglectful. They have had it as worse as any other kid that's ever lived in the city of Pittsburgh, living conditions-wise. Really? And that just, I had enough of it. So Jack Mook took matters into his own hands, cashed in some favors, and got the kids placed in a new home. You want something else to eat? His. For Jack, it's been quite an adjustment. I'm in here trying to learn my culinary skills, brother. But I get the sense that you're really loving this. Yeah, yes. It's awesome. It's the best thing I ever did in my life. At least it was the best thing. That's it. Until the day he went to court and did one better. They'll be successful. Adopted the boys. All right, come on, guys. And made them mooks. You're mook, right? You happy? After this story first aired in 2014, we got a lot of email, a surprising amount from women who wanted to meet this guy. So did you email us? Are you one of those? No, no. <laughs> Mary says she saw the story, but she met him in a bar. Did you go to the bar because you knew he'd be there? Yes. Ah, <laughs> yes. I am For answering honestly. <laughs> they were married last summer. She came with three of her own, so now Jack and the boys are part of a Brady Bunch, a family none of them could have ever imagined just a few years ago. Jack especially. I thought being single was fun. 
because you don't have no responsibilities. But when you're single, you don't realize what you're missing. I'm glad I let her break through that barrier and take me away from that life. Sounds like it wasn't just the boys who were rescued. Coming up, hail and farewell. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's a Sunday morning tradition. Come the end of December, we take time to remember some of the many people who left us in the year gone by. To them and so many others whose lives touched our own, we say hail and farewell. Omar Sharif, you were brilliant and handsome. With an easy smile and dark eyes that spoke of deeper passions. As Dr. Zhivago, your love for Lara burned hot on the frozen Siberian plains and melted our hearts. Farewell. Farewell to Maureen O'Hara, the feisty, fiery-haired Irish beauty. But who gave you leave to be kissing me? So you can talk. I prefer the company of men, except for Maureen O'Hara, John Wayne once said. She's a great guy. You can bet nobody ever said that about Anita Ekberg. Listen. Whose sensuality made men swoon the world over. There are three things I like most. Love, love, and love. Ciao, Bella. Hello. Would you please give me a hand? A fond farewell to George Winslow who famously upstaged Marilyn Monroe as a seven-year-old. You've got a lot of animal magnetism. And to Percy Sledge, who gave us one of the sexiest songs of all time. I'm not pretending to be a literary writer. Jackie Collins, your steamy romances always kept us coming back for more. He pinned her up against the side of the building and began kissing her. I'll leave you there. (laughs) David Canary, you kept us coming back to all my children for 26 years as the ruthless Adam Chandler. You made soap opera history. But I'm too shy. I'll introduce you. No, don't. Goodbye to Al Molinaro. Do it. Big Al on Happy Days. Make it humble. He was bored to be funny. Unless my clock is right, it's sock it to me time. And to laugh in, Gary Owens. Anything you'd care to add to that? And Judy Karn. She was one funny lady. Sock it to me. Okay. <laughs> Has Sunsweet managed to change her mind with their brand new pitted prune? Possibly. It's still rather badly wrinkled, you know. Stan Freeberg gave prunes a whole new life as the funny fruit. Farewell to you, my brilliant, funny friend. And to you, little Jimmy Dickens. The tater was a big talent. Do you come from a large family? Me? Oh, sure. I mean, do you have a lot of sisters? Oh, I've got a lot of sisters in my family. Sister Mary Monica. (laughs) And Mira, you were very funny as the tall Irish girl who married the short Jewish guy. If anybody told me that at my age I would be happier than I was in younger years, I would say, how could that be? You kept us laughing for 60 years. Don't cut it toward you. How do you cut a bagel? No, 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 you do the coffee, I'll do the bagel. (laughs) Speaking of bagels, if you're eating one now in Boise, Bozeman, or Kalamazoo, 
You can thank Daniel Thompson. His bagel machine spread the love and the cream cheese from coast to coast. Forest Bird loved to fly. These are strawberry shortcake tins here. <laughs> and to tinker, too. I went to the hardware store and got a doorknob. You can see this doorknob right here. So the patient could take and push down like this on the doorknob and blow their lungs up. The ventilators he invented have breathed life into countless patients around the world. Thank you, Dr. Bird. Three, two, one. Jane Briggs Hart was a pilot, too. She dreamed of blasting into space on a Mercury rocket and passed all the tests to qualify. But NASA wasn't ready for a woman astronaut. You don't think that a male test pilot would suddenly be disturbed to find a woman in the cockpit? I would hope that this would be a mutual training program and uh, there would, wouldn't be any surprise to him. She had the right stuff. Betty Tackerberry Blake flew Army fighter planes during World War II, one of the first women to do so. She had the right stuff, too. There's something true about red, white, and blue about Rosie, the Riveter. Mary Doyle Keefe was a telephone operator during the war. She posed for Norman Rockwell's Rosie the Riveter in 1943. He called me one day and he said, I apologize, but I made you very large. Her larger-than-life portrait inspires women still. Today, it's still a man's world. And just look at it. Move over, gentlemen. Maybe you can use some help. This is Marlene Sanders. Marlene Sanders led the way for women in broadcast news. Evelyn Furch and her relay team sprinted to Olympic gold in Los Angeles in 1932. She led the way in sports. Coming up on the rear of the pack, big Red Jensen, 38, from the Bomber Squad. Hannes Jensen was a tough blocker in a tough sport, roller derby. There's Jensen with a block, 38. There's Jensen with another block. She was quite a jammer, too. Our newest colleague for this season, glorious and fearless Frank Gifford. Thank you, Howard. Farewell to Frank Gifford, a star receiver for the New York Giants. He was knocked out cold in 1960 by number 60, Chuck Bednarik of the Philadelphia Eagles. Concrete Chuck, as he was known, also left the field this year. Their historic collision was captured back then by this still photo. CBS's Tony Verna would change that three years later by giving us the instant replay. Professional football in America is a special game. Ed Sable used all of Hollywood's tricks to bring football's bruising drama into our living rooms. The game is beautiful and I love it and that's the way I want to portray it. He made football a national obsession. You can thank him or blame him for that. Yogi Berra loved baseball passionately and exuberantly as a player and as a manager. And he had a way with words too. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. It seemed to capture something true while making no sense at all. We may be lost, but we're making good time. Yogi, the future ain't what it used to be. Oh, yeah! Stuart Scott shared his exuberance for sports in his own inimitable style. Strides up court like this after... And left us too soon. George Barris created the Munsters Coach, the Beverly Hillbillies Jalopy, and... This. The Batmobile. Shiny, sleek, and supercharged. The better to propel superheroes Batman and Robin on their crime-fighting missions. 
George Barris died this year at 89. But the Batmobile lives on. And even, occasionally, ferries other caped crusaders on high-minded missions. Lenny Robinson was one of those. His Batman brought a bit of joy to very ill children. He was a real superhero. I wanted to wear that jersey and feel like a superhero again. And so was 19-year-old Lauren Hill, who lost her battle with brain cancer, but not before fulfilling her dream. Today has been the best day I've ever had. Golly, I wish we could get in touch with Superman. Jack Larson, your Jimmy Olsen was no superhero, but he did have a superhero friend. You didn't get here a minute too soon. Goodbye to you, Jack. Perhaps you'd include Batgirl, too. And to Yvonne Craig, who astonished everyone every time she came to save the day. Batgirl? Batgirl! Batgirl! On Star Trek, Yvonne Craig used her considerable charms to seduce Captain Kirk. Those charms didn't work so well on the ever-analytical Mr. Spock. She seems to have worked out an infallible method for assuring permanent male fidelity. Interesting. A Vulcan salute to you, Leonard Nimoy. Live long and prosper. And a long overdue salute to you, Calvin Spann. As one of the Tuskegee Airmen, he flew 26 combat missions in World War II. The Negro pilot has proved himself a capable, fearless fighter, dangerous and deadly to the enemy, an able defender of the American way of life. But he could not get hired as a pilot after the war. Edward Brooke of Massachusetts did not think of himself as a black leader, but he was one, the first African-American ever elected to the U.S. Senate by popular vote. I extend to you my profound gratitude for giving me the supreme moment of my life. Julian Bond was a born leader, a very young Georgia legislator who came to the national stage at the Democratic Convention of 1968. I'm deeply appreciative of the honor of having my name placed in nomination as a vice presidential candidate. Unfortunately, I have not yet reached the age. He championed the cause of civil rights for the rest of his life. Thou shalt not sin against equality. Mario Cuomo electrified Democrats in 1984. E.R.A. I might have been president had he chosen to run. Fred Thompson first appeared on the national stage during the Watergate hearings. Are you aware of any devices that were installed in the executive office building office of the president? Yes, sir. And stayed there as senator, presidential candidate, and actor. Senior captains don't start something this dangerous without having thought the matter through. There are many ways to serve your country. I'm Bo Biden, and Joe Biden is my dad. Bo Biden served his country faithfully and well for far too short a time. Farewell. Benny King, your song gives us hope in our darkest hours. Stand by me, stand by me. Nicholas Winton gave humanity hope in a very dark hour. He rescued 669 children from the horrors of the Holocaust. Why did you keep it secret for so long? I didn't really keep it secret. I just didn't talk about it. Thank you, Sir Nicholas, and thank you, Bob Simon, for telling that story and so many others honestly and eloquently here at CBS News. You were family.
as were you, producer Harry Radliff, and you, Sandy Sokolow. You helped Walter Cronkite take us all to the moon. Ray Gandalf's subject this morning is big money betting. Ray Gandalf, your smart sports stories helped to get us started here at Sunday morning. You were family, too. What varied gifts they gave us. Gary Dahl gave us this, the pet rock. It comes with its own carrying case. He sold a million of them. Horst Brandstatter sold nearly three billion of these. Playmobil, pirates and cowgirls and knights and plastic worlds for them to live in. Don Featherstone fashioned plastic into pink flamingos to stick on your lawn. And architect Michael Graves showed us that tea kettles and toasters can be as beautiful as towers in the right hands. Robert Loggia played the piano with his feet. A little tune that will cheer us up for years to come. Just a song at twilight. Oliver Sacks explored the strange paradoxes the of the human brain with humor, affection, and a never-ending curiosity. I don't know why music is so powerful. I think it's a great mystery. Still to us at twilight comes love's sweet song. Comes love's old sweet song. Farewell, Dr. Sachs. And farewell to E.L. Doctorow, who took us to earlier eras with his eloquent pen. In fiction, there are no borders. You can be anything and do anything. And to journalist David Carr, who explained our modern media world with brilliance and passion. Goodbye to John Forbes Nash, whose beautiful mind inspired a movie. And to Charles Towns, whose brilliant mind harnessed the power of light the lasers he developed changed our world forever. Joel Spira's invention let us dim the lights now and then. I had a call one day saying that the Beatles are arriving in two hours. Would you like to make a film of it? One, two, three, five! Albert Mazels was glad he said hello in 1964. So I put my hand over the phone and turned to my brother and said, Who's the Beatles? Are they any good? And he said, Yeah, they're great. Cynthia Lennon became famous as John's wife. That can't have been easy. Mrs. Margareta Murphy scandalized the country when she married a presidential hopeful in 1963. New York's Governor Rockefeller hopes that time and public exposure to the new Mrs. Rockefeller will turn the odds his way before the Republican convention next year. Goodbye, Happy. It's my party and I want Goodbye to Leslie Gore, who gave us a hit song for when we are sad. Donna Douglas, as Ellie Mae Clampett. She got me walking on pegs. You kept us laughing for nine seasons on the Beverly Hillbillies, which featured a band called The Enemies in 1965. A band that would become Three Dog Night. Singer Corey Wells died this year. It was fun while it lasted. Jack Ely, your song was considered so scandalous in 1963, it was investigated by the FBI. They never figured out what it meant either. She used to hold the evil, she loved the ball, but she keep on loving. Clark Terry, no need to call in the FBI. 
What a remarkable band of musicians left us this year. Alan Toussaint, Buddy Evans, Ornette Coleman, Phil Woods, Chris Squire, and Cynthia Robinson, the Queen of Funk. She played a mean horn with Sly and the Family Stone. Hey, everybody, let's have some fun. You want a little bit much when you did, B.B. King, how can we even begin to thank you for all the good times? You were, are, and always will be the king of the blues. James Horner, your talent was titanic. Your music will go on and on. As will the moments, great and small, given to us by those we came to think of as family. Dick Van Patten the ever-reliable TV dad. It's only natural that guys get interested in girls when they get older. Roger Reese. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I'm looking for Rebecca Howe. The ever-predictable TV cad. Oh, you're welcome. Goodbye to L.A. Law's Richard Dysart. Of course I'm listening. I'm just uh, thinking about another matter. That's all. Let's move on there, Douglas. Check it out. And to Daniel Von Bargen. Three times around, no feet. Hmm? <laughs> played George Costanza's terrible boss. Oh, me. <laughs> Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. Alex Rocco played a mob boss in The Godfather. Goodbye to him. And to Taylor Negrin. Four of the double cheese and sausage. And Rick Ducumman. Ray, this is Walter. No! What a pleasant surprise meeting you here, my dear. Patrick McNee, you were dashing on the Avengers. Get under those covers, young lady. Okay, but wait until this woman has a revolution. Suzanne Crow, as the littlest partridge, you were cute. I said hip hop. So were you, Ellen Albertini. You don't stop the rock to the bang bang boogie. They up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie and beat. Now we got him. Goodbye to James Best. Hazard County's bumbling sheriff. And to Martin Milner. You let yourself get emotionally involved, you can't do your job. That's part of learning to be a pro. Maybe the toughest part. His cop was a real pro. Farewell to Rod Taylor, who battled Hitchcock's birds. Let the cartoon begin. And to Gilbert Lewis, who was Pee Wee's king of cartoons. Gregory Walcott will be remembered best for starring in a movie that was one of the worst. I saw a flying saucer. You mean the kind from up there? Yeah, it's counterpart. Like every great artist, I want to create an indisputable masterpiece once in my lifetime. Christopher Lee, your villains. And vampires will never die. Come to Freddy. And neither will director Wes Craven's creepy creations. He left us screaming this year. As will Gunnar Hansen, who wielded that terrible chainsaw in Texas and died quietly on the coast of Maine. Everybody's buzzing. Bert Chavitz kept bees quietly in the Maine woods, even after he became famous for the lip balm and beauty products he and his bees helped to produce. He buzzed off this year. Au revoir to Paul Prudhomme. Now that's what I call a pot of jambalaya. He gave us Cajun recipes to spice up our lives. Chuck Williams provided the cookware.
I'm a born shopper. I <laughs> love to shop. Lillian Vernon put her stamp of approval on lots of things, which could be personalized for free. Farewell to Betty Willis, who gave us this fabulous sign. And to Michael Gross, who designed this logo. Who you gonna call? And so long to Ronnie Gilbert. She sang with the Weavers in Union Halls and started a folk music revolution. And I gotta be drifting along. So long, it's been good. It's been good to know you, Ronnie, and each of the admirable, amazing men and women who left us this year. So long, it's been good to know you. Our thanks to you all. Ahead, Faith Saley adds it all up. As the new year approaches, many of us are taking time to look back, including our contributor, Faith Saley. Lots of noteworthy things happened for the first time in 2015. Just to name a few, the first IVF puppies were born, the Church of England chose its first female bishop, and scientists captured a photo of light as both wave and particle. And are you ready for this? For the first time ever, the word of the year isn't a word. It's this. Oxford Dictionaries chose this face with tears of joy emoji as the word that best reflected the ethos, mood, and preoccupations of 2015. Some may find Oxford Dictionary's explicit nod to the prevalence of pith and shorthand in our social media-driven world lamentable. Others may view the word of the year as progressive, and the youngest among us will just see it as life as they've always known it. I take it as a visual reminder that some wonderful things happened this year. Yes, we face tragedies, ruthless terrorism, and perplexing political movements, but Let's not forget we also had reasons to cry from happiness. When the Supreme Court ruled that gay people deserve equal dignity in the eyes of the law and granted same-sex couples the right to marry, many of us shed tears, bearing witness to something we only dared to hope we'd see in our lifetime. While the conflict over where and how to place Syrian refugees continues, here's a story to choke you up in a good way. A picture of this 33-year-old Syrian refugee trying to sell pens on the street of Beirut while carrying his sleeping daughter went viral. Online donations made it possible for him to open three local businesses and hire 16 refugees. And he gave away $25,000 to loved ones in Syria. We heard a lot about police misconduct in 2015, but you may not have heard this story. Two Texas cops pulled over a man and saw the driver's young daughters weren't in booster seats. This man had no home and no money. Instead of fining him, the officers drove straight to Walmart and bought three hot pink car seats for the girls. Are you crying yet? Perhaps closer to home, you can celebrate the fact that drinking coffee can help you live longer and drinking wine could help control diabetes. We've all had our moving moments this year. I wrote my first book, and my three-year-old potty trained himself. 
Perhaps you ran your first marathon or met your beloved or finally succeeded in folding a fitted sheet. There is such goodness in our world, such happiness in our lives if we take the time to recognize it. So here's hoping that your 2016 will be another year filled with many tears of joy. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio. Oh, hi! Snuggle up. Bedtime's about to be a dream. It's good night bedtime stories. A perfect way to end the day. Good night. Introducing Nickelodeon's Good Night Bedtime Stories. It's the only podcast where the best part <sighs> is missing the ending. It's bedtime the Nickelodeon way. Listen to Nickelodeon's Good Night Bedtime Stories wherever you get your podcasts.